want to invite you to open it with me to the book of Acts, book of Acts, chapter 7. And we're going to be looking at something today here in a minute. He has broken every chain, their salvation in his name, Jesus Christ, our living hope. I hope you have that hope today. If you don't have that hope, you're at the right place to get it. Hopefully, if you're not saved, if you're not been made alive in Jesus yet, that today might be the day that you could be saved by his grace and be given eternal life. You know, we look and we see the things going on around us today, and I don't know how anybody would deny that spiritual warfare is real. There's a lot of people that deny that God is real. But I'm telling you right now, if you try to live for Jesus, you'll find out real quick (laughs) that there is spiritual warfare in our midst. And you know, today I want us to look and see how spiritual warfare, the Bible, it starts out in the book of Acts. We've been looking at it, man. The church is birthed into existence. God sends the Spirit into every true believer that's saved by His grace, seals us until the day of redemption. And the Spirit of God, the life of God literally lives in us. We're no longer dead. It says, you who were dead in your trespasses and sin, He's made alive in Jesus Christ. And it's a life-changing experience to be saved in the flesh, totally captive to your sin and those chains breaking, to be born again. God puts life into you. You're a new creature in Christ. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. We hear about it. We know about it. And Satan is determined, though, to keep it from happening. (laughs) He can't take away your salvation, but he can stop you from realizing and experiencing the benefits of it. And so he comes against us. The church is on fire. Man, the apostles are preaching. The people are excited. They're living a life filled of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit-filled life. They're, they're obeying Jesus and preaching the Word of God with boldness and telling the Jesus story and preaching the gospel. And God's adding to the church daily and people are getting saved and it's multiplying. And with that comes things that you can see or from the hand of spiritual warfare. And it's getting to the point where You know, the church is just moving, and then all of a sudden you get to chapter 7, and you see the first person who actually gives his physical life for the faith, for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. His name was Stephen. He was one of the seven men who we believe were the origins of deacons, and he was chosen out because he was a man of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And they picked him to help deal with some matters you'll see a part of here. They was having some 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 division problems people were arguing and so they settled that in after they settle that and the church continues to stay in unity they're not there and they fix what they call him to do he rises to the forefront and he preaches and you'll see when we start to read here this morning that Stephen who I believe was the recognized leader of those seven The Bible recognizes him in chapter 6. We're going to read this first, and then we're going to look where I'm going to primarily start preaching from. But if you look in chapter 6, it says, when you look with me here in verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. 
And then there arose from some what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. If you're going to be a man or a woman of God that walks with the power of God on you, full of faith that God is able to use to do spiritual wonders and things with, get ready. (laughs) Someone's going to dispute you. (laughs) You're going to get upset. Where's the origin of that come from? The Bible says, well, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, according to Paul, but we wrestle with spiritual principalities. Spiritual forces of wickedness. My problem is not with a man, but my problem is what the devil uses men to do when they're not in the control of the spirit. And so they dispute him. And it says in verse 10, they were not able to resist the wisdom of the spirit by which he spoke. And if you look around today, the world, my friend, does not want to hear men filled with the spirit speaking the truth of the wisdom of this book and the power of God who, who has God on him to the point he's useful. God can do things through him. It irritates them. They want to stop it. And if you look around today, everywhere in America, it seems that people, the last thing they want to hear is about the truth of God's word. But friends, this church was steady preaching it. So what did they do? Verse 11, they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came up on him, seized him, and they brought him to the council. That's the same people they brought Jesus to. And they also set up false witnesses. And that's the same thing they did to Jesus. And they did not cease to speak blasphemy words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Their problem wasn't with Stephen. Their problems was with, Mo, with Jesus. And they're upset about it. So he goes and starts in chapter 7. And I'm going to tell you what, man, I, he, I'd have liked to have been in his church. He preached right at him. <laughs> he didn't back down. He didn't shut up. He stood up. He spoke up. And he called them out from the word of God. And he gave them a biblical history of where they came from as God's chosen people all of the privileges and blessings God had bestowed on them that they should have recognized their Messiah, Jesus, instead of crucified him, but you didn't. And because you have rejected him, he has rejected you. And he spoke the truth to them, and they got very mad. And so at the end of him speaking the truth, Stephen is fixing to get the blessing of being the first martyr for the Lord Jesus Christ. You may say, I'm glad that don't happen anymore. According to Voices of the Martyr, you can Google that. That is a ministry who tracks and helps to keep us under awareness of what's going on in the world today. More people were martyred that's killed for their faith in Jesus last year in the world than since they've been tracking it. It is increasing. It's not decreasing. We live in a place where the worst thing happens to us is they may take prayer out of our school or they may tell us we can't pray at the ball game and we get all tore up but there are places all over the world where if you identify yourself as a Christian they will kill you and they still do today and friends we look at this that's spiritual warfare why would that magnitude of anger and hatred why would people get to that place against someone who's just going around telling people about this Jewish son of God named Jesus who is supposed to be 
the Savior of the world. Why would they get that upset? Because I'm telling you, spiritual warfare is real. And I'm going to show you why. But I want us to see what it escalates to very quickly. And it was because this church was a threat to the kingdom of hell. As long as the church is not a threat to the devil and his agenda, he'll leave you alone. He'll let you gather. He'll let you have worship and religion and singing and fellowship. All you want as long as no one's getting saved. As long as no one's getting saved, he'll let you have all the church, all the Baptist religion you want. And even let it be blessing to you. But we're not here just to have fun. We're here to see people saved. And people come to know God. And be forgiven and given eternal life. And as you look right here, when you start reading with me in chapter 7, verse 51, look at what happens. He looks them in the face and he says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, you always resist the Spirit as your fathers did so. Which of the prophets did your father not persecute and they killed? Those who foretold the coming of the just one. He's talking about Jesus their Messiah, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. He's talking about you crucified him. And in verse 53, he says, Whom having received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. <clears throat> and when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But the bi- I- I've seen some of that in a business meeting. You ever seen that? <laughs> they gnashed at their teeth. <laughs> But he being full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, ran at him with one accord. Can you imagine being at that church service? And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul who would become the Apostle Paul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. And you think we got problems? Look at what began to happen. Now Saul was consenting to his death. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial, made great lamentation over him. And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them unto prison. Therefore, those who were scattered quit church. No, they went everywhere preaching Jesus. Now let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the testimony of the church and how in the word of God we can realize and understand the tactics of the enemy. And Lord, you tell us in the word that we are not strangers to his devices, that we understand and know how Satan works because you've taught us and showed us. So Lord, today as we look at spiritual warfare, help us to wake up in case we might be in slumber. And for those of us who are awake, help us to be more diligent as we fight the good fight, as we continue the course, as we run the race. Lord, help us to do it with all our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Spiritual warfare, at the end of the day, is all because of the battle over the control of people's souls. Whether you believe in God or not this morning, 
there's a battle going on for your soul. An eternal battle. A battle between good and evil. A battle between right and wrong. A battle between hell and heaven. A battle between God and the devil. And it's raging whether you want to believe it or not. And the devil is determined to keep people from getting saved. And thank God that he is determined to see people get saved. The Bible says that God desires for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Praise God. Hallelujah. How serious was he about that? He sent his only begotten son to come and die on a cross to give a sacrificial death as the Lamb of God and shed his sinless blood to take his holy life that should have never had to die and die for us so that we could live for him. And the Bible says that he so loved the world, not the church, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish. That's be saved. And I want you to think about this. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the light. He didn't say, I am a way, I am a truth, and I am a light. He said, I am the life. And then he says that I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. God wants us to be saved, to be given spiritual life. That's eternal life. Eternal life is not a a quantity of life it's a quality of life it doesn't start when you go to heaven it starts the day you get saved and Jesus forgives you and cleanses you and comes into your life and reconciles you with God and you're made right with the father eternal life begins and so the thief though comes not to except to steal to kill and to destroy he does not want any of us to experience What God wants to do in our life as his creation, as those who he gave his son to redeem. Paul, who right now is Saul, he's the chief persecutor of the church. The devil's using Paul right now to lead the persecution against Jesus and his church. And Saul is wrecking havoc, I just read to you. He's going from door to door of every house, arresting men and women and throwing them in prison. Because he hates the church of Jesus. Paul. And God, though, is so amazing that not only did he help him with the persecution, he saved the chief persecutor. (laughs) He saved Saul and turned him into Paul. That's why we keep preaching no matter what the Democrats say, no matter what the government chooses to do. We keep preaching Jesus because he's our only hope. Let them vote. Let them make all these crazy decisions. I don't know what you're going to do. I'm not going to lose sleep over it no more. Because I'm standing on Jesus. I'm going with Jesus. And I'm going to stay with Jesus. How about you? And friends, that's what this church did. And they got blessed. Even in the midst of all this. Look at what he told Paul after he saved him. Paul said first. He knocked him down. Showed him a light. Right as the sun. He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus. Who do you persecute? That's in chapter 9. And then he said, well, what do you want me to do? He said, get up. Let them take you to Damascus and you'll be told what to do. And then he said, this is what I want you to do. He said, I want you to go and I want you to be my minister. I want you to be my witness. 
And I will deliver you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. We hear all this trouble about racism, about blacks and whites and African Americans and European Americans. Friends, listen, in the economy of God, there's only Gentiles and Jews. That's it. And if you're a Jew, you're a chosen person of God through the Old Testament, his chosen people. And if you're a Gentile, your only hope is to get saved by Jesus. Amen? If you want to have anything to do with God. And Gentiles includes everybody outside of Jews. That's them. And he says, I'm sending you to everybody, Paul, to open their eyes. Why do you want to open their eyes, Jesus? In order to turn them from darkness to light. Everybody, Jew and Gentile, every nation. Black, white, yellow, red, they're all the same on the inside, though. But every one of them is either in darkness or in light this morning, according to God. And when you're in darkness, he says, you're under the power of Satan. And when you're under God's power, you're going to come to the light. So he says, I want you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from power of Satan to the power of God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and the inheritance, the inheritance of those who are sanctified by faith in me. What is that? That inheritance is what we get, eternal life, a relationship with God. And the benefits are unbelievable. Can I get an amen? Amen. He's faithful to us. He loves us. He's committed. He sanctifies us. He sets us apart as his own. He purchased us. He bought us. He paid for us with the blood of Jesus. And then he filled us and sealed us with his spirit and put his life in us. And now we're his. And what a blessing it is. But we didn't understand that and know that when we were in the darkness. Because Satan, the prince of darkness, was controlling and using us to deceive us we didn't know the truth but we heard the gospel one day we realized yes I'm a sinner yeah I can't fix it I can't quit sinning and if I did quit sinning I've already sinned I'm already defiled I'm already messed up and all of a sudden the cross began to make sense God's son holy and pure the perfect lamb of God unblemished sacrificed for me To take away what I deserved. And God's wrath was put on him. So it wouldn't have to be put on me. And his perfect holiness and his righteousness now has been put on my account. So that I can stand before God. And all of a sudden the light begins to come on. And it begins to make sense. And you get faith to trust it. And life changes. Because you're no longer in darkness under the power of Satan. You're now walking in the light. With the help of God. And he's in your life now. It's not religion anymore. It's a relationship. It's not about church anymore. It's about Jesus every day. I wake up with him. I go to bed with him. It ain't just Sunday no more. It's real. Do you think the devil's just going to sit around and say, oh, man, he's going to come at us. And so I want you to think about this. What is Jesus' greatest objective? This is Jesus' greatest objective. You can check it out in the scriptures to save the lost. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. He said, I didn't come here for the righteous. I came for the sick. I came for the sinners. So Jesus' great objective is to save the lost. That means to see men reconciled and brought into a right relationship with God. That's what eternal life is. And you receive eternal life. That's what he wants to do in everybody's life here this morning. 
So what is the devil's greatest objective? To deny lost world access to Jesus. The last thing the devil wants you to do is meet Jesus if you're lost. He'll let you come to church. He'll let you join the church. He'll let me baptize you. He'll let you even serve in the church. He won't mess with you a whole, whole lot if you're lost. Because he wants you to stay that way. But you see, to stop Jesus from reconciling lost sinners with God and giving him eternal life, that's the main thing Jesus, I mean the devil, is trying to do. Satan's greatest desire is for the people of this planet to leave Jesus alone. And he's doing a pretty good job of it. He's convinced multitudes of America that Jesus is a waste of time. That he's the problem. Because they're in darkness. Satan's intent is that we turn away from Jesus or that we never even find him in the first place if he can keep us from him. And if we do find him, then Satan cannot be successful at keeping us from Jesus anymore. So now he desires to keep believers quiet, to keep us silent, to keep us where we'll never witness, to keep us where we'll never live a life that's useful to God, that's living healthy and spiritually active with the power of God in it. So Satan comes against it, just like he did this church. I'm going to show you three things this morning from the book of Acts that Satan will do to every church that becomes a soul-winning, effective church that's winning people to God. He don't care how big they get as long as they stay full of sin. He don't care how many people come as, as long as they're not really loving one another and there's not real unity. As long as they backbite and talk and play the hypocrite and backstab, he'll let you get a whole big crowd in here. But when the church gets real and the church is transparent and it's walking with a true changed life filled with the Spirit, preaching Jesus with the power that's saving people and people start getting saved, get ready, the devil's going to show up. And that's what he did in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, I'm going to show you three tactics that he used that I see him use in my life, that I see him use in your life, in every church, every preacher I know that are friends of. Tell me about these same tactics. See, in the book of Acts, he couldn't stop them because they were being obedient. Man, I don't have but a little bit of water today, y'all. We're going to get out quick. But guys, the church was on fire. It was being effective. Everywhere they went, they were speaking the word of God with boldness. They was telling people about Jesus. Jesus was saving people. The church was multiplying. And the devil was trying to figure out what to do. And so in chapter 5, you see the first time the devil comes against us. Satan wants to defile us this morning. And he wants to take away our purity. You really do not understand the importance of your integrity and your character and your holiness and your spiritual cleanliness. You see, though you're saved and your sins are taken away, you can still live a life that grieves God, that allows sin to mull you up and, and mar you and hinder you from being able to be used by what God wants to do. So that's what he did, Ananias and Sapphira. We had a sermon about them a few weeks. Those of you who don't know them, Ananias and Sapphira. They, they were members of the church. By all means, they were probably saved. And 
everyone decides that, man, this is so good, we're going to sell our possessions and we're going to donate it to the church to help people who don't have enough. It's us. And so people began selling lands and houses and bringing it to the apostles, the preachers, and laying it at their feet and saying, use this to help everybody. Well, Ananias and Sapphira seen how Barnabas was getting attention and he was getting praised. Oh, man, look, man, he's blessing the church. He gave the biggest offering I ever seen him ever give down there. He blessed them. And, man, everyone's praising Barnabas, so they wanted to be praised. So they sold their land. But they didn't do what the others did. But they wanted to look like they did, so they lied. And they act like they did. And they came to church. And what they were making themselves look like was not what they really were. Their life was a lie. Inside of their daily activities, they were full of all kinds of things that defiled them, that hurt, that broke their relationship. They were not in true communion with God, but they wanted to look like they were. And so that's what they're doing there. Look at what happens to them. We'll read it right quick because we've got to blow through this because we've got to get to the good part. But I want you to look at chapter 5, verse 1. Look at what it says. It says, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold their possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it. So it was a conspiracy together. They brought, it to a, a, they brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why is Satan... Filled your heart to lie to God, to the Holy Spirit. You see, today when we come to church and we allow ourselves to look righteous and holy and to look like we're all sold out to Jesus, but the reality is it's a lie. That you're really serving the world. You're really full of all kinds of stuff that shouldn't be there. But instead of being real and confessing it and saying, Lord, forgive me, which he'll gladly do, because the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to not only forgive us of our sins, but to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But we don't want to really change, but we want to look like everybody else. We want to fit in. But if you really knew what my marriage was like, I'd be ashamed. If you really knew what kind of husband I truly am, what kind of father I truly am, I'm making myself look like a certain way, but God knows I'm lying. And not only am I doing it, but I'm purposely doing it because I want to look good. And so that's what they were doing. And he says, Satan is the root of this. And while it remained, he says, was it not yours? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why have you conceived this lie, this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And guys, if you remember Jesus... Jesus loved sinners. He hung out with tax collectors and harlots and drunkards all the time. Not because he wanted to be like them, but because he wanted to be able to save them. But the people he got on the most was religious people who looked righteous, but they were not. They were called Pharisees and Sadducees. And the Bible says that he confronted them in Matthew chapter twenty. For, and he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside of you they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup, that's your heart, and dish, 
that the outside of them may be clean also. You know, it don't matter what we look like on the outside. All of our religion, all of our self-righteousness, if the inside is full of indulgence and lust and selfishness and self-centered stuff that God is looking at. Because he can fix it. He died to fix it. And then he finally says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside you're full of dead man's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, you should also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, guys, God loves us, and he'll forgive us of anything we do, but what he doesn't like is when we come and we act like we're something we're not. Ain't picked your Bible up all week, but you're going to carry that big win on today and make it look like you pick it up every day. And don't pray, but boy, when you get to church, you're a prayer. You, 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 we're supposed to be real. And God would rather us be honest and say, Lord, I messed up. Lord, I've got stuff in my life that shouldn't be here. And Lord... I'm standing before you a sinner. Lord, would you forgive me than to sit here and everybody in here think you're the most self-righteous person in this room and you not be. So the devil wants to defile us. He wants to get you looking at stuff you shouldn't be looking at. He wants you to be participating in things you shouldn't be participating in. He wants to get you in a habitual way of life that is contrary to the Christian life. That you would never, ever allow yourself to be exposed here. Because here when you come, you play the role. You know what I'm talking about? That's what the hypocrite is. He's playing the part. But he's not real. He's a counterfeit. And friends, God was not happy with that. And Satan knew that if the church got defiled, if it lost its purity, if it was not walking in spiritual cleanliness and righteousness, and it was a bunch of liars that the Holy Spirit would not be active in them. So he's going to try to do that in everybody's life when you begin to serve God. He's going to come tempt you. He's going to try to trick you. He's going to try to get you involved in activities that will diminish God's presence and communion in your life. Have you ever tried to pray to God when you've been doing something that God told you not to do? Or you ever tried to serve God and to have a wonderful relationship with God when you're not willing to do something God's been asking you to do? Because we don't like to admit this, but obedience is part of being a healthy, faithful Christian. But guys, listen, not only does that something that he uses, and he wants to get every church full of people who are full of sin today. And friends, today the church is following into it to such a degree that there are churches today that not only allow sin, but say it's okay. You can live in this lifestyle that the bible clearly portrays as an abomination but because culture says it's all right today we're going to say it's okay too today you compromise the word of god to placate the world god will quit blessing the church and the church today is placating sinful worldly lustful carnal people to get them to come at the expense of preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Repentance. Faith in him. Give your life to him and he will give your life to you. But you got to give it 
You got to be real. Friends, the next thing I seen him do in chapter 6, that didn't work. Man, they all got, God killed a few. Peter all dramatically said, take him out and bury him. And man, they got right with God. They quit doing that. They didn't nobody do that no more. But the next thing you see in chapter 6, Satan wants to divide us and take away our unity. If he can't get us defiled and involved in sinful activity that causes the harm and hinders our relationship with God, then he'll, he'll get us to fight with one another. How many of you seen God show up in the church, revival starts, man, people's getting saved, the church is growing, and all of a sudden they get some stupid argument started, and it all comes to an end overnight. Satan uses it because it works. (laughs) And so what is happening here, they survive chapter 5. They all get right with God. People are still getting saved. But then look at what happens in verse 1 of chapter 6. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a complaint. How many of you realize that there's lots of complainers in the Baptist church? Man, they are. Brother Stanley's here today with me. He's one of my deacons, one of my favorite members since I've been ministering. He's my dear friend. But Brother Stanley, I love him because he, he has a character. He has a, he has a, a countenance that he can calm down a situation. We was in a business meeting one night, and we was making a financial decision, and they were wanting to secret ballot it. And we said, no, we ain't secret balloting in a, in a finance meeting. We're going to look at each other in the eye, and we're voting. And, and everybody for it, there's been a motion made, there's a second, and this, this member said, well, I'm going to go ahead and vote for the sake of everybody else because I don't want to be the only one not in agreement. But my heart ain't in it. And Brother Stanley said, that's all right, sister. When your heart ain't in it, you vote with your left hand. When your heart's in it, we vote with our right hand. Amen. We all raised our right hand and it all started laughing at how silly we were being. <laughs> he diffused the spiritual war <laughs> that could have happened. And man, I still laugh about that story. I'll be driving sometimes saying, I wish Brother Stanley would have been in that meeting. <laughs> or someone like Brother Stanley. But guys, listen, they're arguing, they're complaining. What are they complaining about? Because there's two sets of Jews, these are all Jews. There's the Jews that are, speak Hebrew. They only speak Hebrew. And then there's these other Jews that have lost their ability to speak Hebrew, or at least they don't speak Hebrew, and they're speaking Greek, Hellenist. But they're all Jews. But more importantly, they're all Christians. They're all part of God's church. And so the, for some reason, it was wrong. The, the Hebrew-speaking Jews neglected the other Jews' widows. They wasn't giving them their meals. If the churches decided to feed all the widows, I don't know about y'all, but as the preacher, we feed them all, amen? We feed the black widows, the white widows. We feed the rich widows, the poor widows. We feed every one of them, but we don't feed no widows because that's what God would want us to do, but that ain't what they're doing. So the devil's already got in there, so they begin to complain. And it says, now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were being neglected in the daily distributions. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples, and they said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. They said, man, we need to serve the pulpit. We need to have a word. We need to be 
praying. We don't have time to go straighten all this out. So therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Guys, listen. If it took men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to be appointed over the business of feeding widows meals, how important is it if we're going to teach a Sunday school class, if we're going to sit on a finance committee, if we're going to be a a leader in a ministry that we be men like this or women like this. But it wasn't just feeding meals. It was keeping the peace. You see, these men didn't just go and start feeding all the widows. They had to calm it down. You ever heard the saying, it's a lot harder to calm something down than it is to keep it from happening? (laughs) And so they begin to do that. And guess what? The church, believe it or not, the church was all in unity. Listen to what it says. It says, but we will give ourselves to continually in prayer and to the ministry. And look at verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. That's a preacher's dream. <laughs> Man, we had a business meeting and everybody there was pleased with every decision we made. You know God had to do that. Amen. The devil said, I got them. They fighting over their meals. They arguing and complaining. Man, look at them, them idiots. Man, they're going to destroy themselves. You see, the biggest thing in the church that causes the biggest problem is this. Always has been, always was. The Bible says it's set on fire by hell itself. <laughs> and the devil just pushes our button. He finds the right ones. He gets us all stirred up. You know, churches have divided over the color of the carpet, I've heard. <laughs> I know they've decided they've divided over the style of the music and over stuff even less. So they all came together. They were in one accord again. They were in unity. The devil was trying to what? Divide them. He was trying to take away their unity. But it pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. They they went and apparently solved the problem. They said, look, we're not going to do this around here. If you want your widows fed, we're going to feed them. But don't be running your mouth. Come talk to us. From now on, if there's a problem with this ministry, don't go grumbling to everybody else. Come to us. We will make sure your widows get their fair distribution. (laughs) And so they fixed it the way we ought to do. And so what happens is the church begins to be doing what it's supposed to do again. It says in verse 7, the word of God began to spread and the numbers of disciples was multiplying greatly. That's what happens when the church is doing what it's supposed to do and it's not defiled, it's walking in purity, it's not divided, and it's walking in unity. But guys, guess what happens? (laughs) What happens is now what we're looking at. Have you noticed that the devil will do whatever it takes to destroy and take away our victory? I wanted to put ability up there so bad because ability, it looked more like purity. But God said, no, that ain't what I want you to put. But guys, you know what? Do y'all realize how quickly the devil persecutes so many of us Christians? And we like chicken little. Oh, no, the sky is falling. I've been talked about. Somebody don't like me. Someone's making fun of me because I'm a Christian. And we, we get all tore up. I don't go to church no more because somebody hurt my feelings. Boy, that's a spiritual warrior. 
He's going to win the world for Christ. Friends, you might as well get your feelings and talk them away if you want to walk with Jesus in victory and have your life used to affect another life. You're going to have to walk in purity. You're going to have to confess your sins. You're going to have to be real with Jesus. You're going to have to not backbite. There's people you're not going to like, but guess what? Not only is he going to tell them you got to like them, he's going to tell you you got to love them. They're going to hurt you. They're going to do things to you. And you know what Jesus is going to say? Bless them. Pray for them. Overcome evil with good. And then he's going to say, and when they come back and they falsely accuse you, And they persecute you because of me and because of the stance you're taking for Christ and my word. You be blessed. Because the glory of God is resting upon you. That's why they don't like you. That's why they talk about you. That's why they hate you. But you keep doing what I told you to do. You see, they're getting hammered. They kill Stephen. The church is under terrific persecution look at what it says when you look at the back part of chapter 8 let's read it one more time and we're fixing to close I promise look at verse 1 now Saul was consenting to his death whose death Stephen Saul cast his vote and stood and guarded their clothing while they threw rocks at him till he was dead and he was for it he consented to it Paul And it says, and Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen out to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered, they went everywhere practicing, I mean, preaching the word. So you get to chapter 9, Paul said, man, there's a bunch of them down at Damascus at the synagogue, and they're down there preaching Jesus. Would you give me some letters? Would you give me some pieces of authority? I'll go down there and get them down there. So it says right there in verse 1 of chapter 9, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, that's the church, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly Jesus showed up. (laughs) And man, I want you to think about this for a minute. They had a choice, man. They done killed Stephen. They're arresting all our women even. Some more people it alludes to must have got killed also. What are we going to do? Well, let me tell you what we're not going to do. We're not going to quit preaching Jesus. <laughs> you see, guys, give them Jesus. That's the number one priority. That's the task we've been assigned to. We are to give people access to Jesus. The devil is trying to stop that from happening. He doesn't want people to know who Jesus is. He doesn't want people to encounter him. He doesn't want people to get saved. But I'm going to tell you right now, you know the biggest thing that America needs is a good dose of Jesus. You know the best thing your lost neighbor that drives you crazy needs is a good dose of Jesus. But let me tell you something. You know the best thing that you need is some more Jesus. (laughs) 
We all need more Jesus. <laughs> and everything would be better. I've found that everywhere Jesus is Lord, everywhere people are under him and serving him, life's better. Have you figured that out yet? A marriage without Jesus for eight years about drove me and my wife crazy. But we've been married now 30-some years with him, and we can't get away from each other. Amen. <laughs> that woman loves me. She loves me because of Jesus. She told me when I was married to her the first time without Jesus, she said, I love you, but I can't live with you. I'm gone. She left me. <laughs> Jesus showed up and saved her, and then she had mercy and come back and said, that's what's wrong. You need Jesus. And I got Jesus, and you know what? Things changed. So I'm telling you from personal experience, but more than that, I'm telling you from the authority of God's word, Jesus makes a difference. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things come new. That's not just a scripture we quote. That's a reality we proclaim and we live. And we do our best. When we fail, we say, hey, man, I messed up. but I'm going to regroup and try to do better. They kept giving them Jesus. They kept preaching. And Jesus showed up. And you know what he did? The one who was leading the persecution. The last one they'd have ever dreamed would get saved. The apostle. I mean Saul. <laughs> the old Pharisee Saul. Here he is wrecking havoc. Arresting people. He's on his way with authority to arrest more. Jesus shows up. Knocks him down. Read it with me. Oh man this is so cool. God, our God is so awesome. He's so cool. He does stuff that we wouldn't think of, that we never would. He didn't go find somebody that everybody would have said, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll be a good apostle. No, he went and found the last person you'd have thought would be apostle. He went and found Saul of Taurus and turned him into the apostle Paul. Man, I will tell you, that's what grace does. That's what Jesus can do. He can take drunkards and addicts and whoremongers and, and gay people. He can take Democrats, leftists, progressives, and make them conservatives if he wants to. Because he changes hearts. And when he changes hearts, he changes beliefs. And when he changes beliefs, he changes behavior. That's how our God works. He starts on the inside to change what's wrong on the outside. And I don't know about y'all, I'm so glad that one day he came into our hearts in here. And he's made a difference. But listen what it says. As he journeyed with his letters of authority, he's fixing to meet authority. <laughs> he thinks he's got power. He's fixing to be experiencing power. He fell down on the ground, verse 4, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? And the Lord said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Have you tried to kick against the goads yet? It's futile. See, he was a chosen vessel. He gets, God saved him. He told an old boy named Ananias, go down there to Damascus. You'll find him. He's blind. He's praying. He's been humbled. They let him in by the hand. He threw his letters away. <laughs> he knew they wasn't worth a piece of paper written on anymore. And now all authority is me. He's my chosen vessel. I'm going to use him. Go down there and help him. I heard of him, Lord. I heard of him. 
I heard how he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Jesus says in verse 15, look at it with me. Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name. If you are a chosen vessel of God, you might as well quit kicking against the goats this morning and come to your senses and give it up to Jesus, amen, because he'll give you peace. He'll, you'll quit fighting. Why would you fight against God? But we do, and we're miserable. And so anyway... Saul says, what do you want me to do? And he tells him. And if you look, there's a progression of his testimony. It's also in chapter 22. You can go read it there. And then you can read it in chapter 26. And Luke, who would have been living, he was his personal physician, his travel companion for all of his missionary journeys. He had heard Paul probably tell the story of his testimony. No telling how many times. He records it three times. And when Paul was giving his testimony to King Agrippa, he said, King Agrippa, he says, on that day, a light shined on me as bright as the sun. And when he said, what do you want to do? He said, I want you to be my minister and I want you to be my witness. And I, I'm going to send you. I just showed you the verse earlier to the Jews and the Gentiles. And I want you to go and speak in my name and tell them because I'm going to set them free. I want, to, I want to help them come out of the darkness into the light. I want to set them free from the power of Satan into the power of God. I want to reconcile them. I want to bless them. I want to help them be sanctified in faith in me. I want to save them. Go tell them, Paul. And Paul's telling people about Jesus. Look at what it says. After Ananias helped old Paul, it says in verse 17. And Ananias went his way. He entered the house. He laid his hands on him. And he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his sight at once. And they arose and they baptized him. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the, with the disciples at Damascus. He hung out with the disciples. And look at what it says, verse 20. Immediately he preached Jesus to Christ in the synagogue. It didn't take training. It didn't take synagogue. It took a good dose of Jesus in the Holy Ghost. And he was a preacher. And he's preaching. And he's telling people about Christ. He is the Son of God. And look at verse 21. This is hilarious. Then all who heard it were amazed. And they said, is this not he who was destroyed those who call on the name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? Paul's just going around trying to be one of us. Hey, man, I got saved. Man, he, he walked in. He came in one week. He was the biggest drug dealer in the community. He was enemy number one. He was, had a picture on the, on the post office that said, won't it, dead or alive. He got saved. He come in the next week. He didn't want nothing. He wanted to just be one of us. He said, I'm saved. I'm a disciple now. Man, I'm part of the church. I joined the church. People's looking at him. I know what he's done. I know the havoc he's caused in our community. I know what kind of person he used to be. Used to be in the emphasis. He used to be Saul. Now he's Paul. And friends, it's hilarious. It reminds me of the Baptist church. They don't know how to handle him. He's tatted up. He, he's got a prison record. He don't look like a Baptist. He didn't come from Baptist. But he got Jesus one day. And now he is a Baptist. Amen. He joined up with us. And he wants to serve with us. And he wants to... Bring glory to God with us. And everybody's looking at him. Oh, he don't look like us. He ain't from here. But look at what it says. Brother Stanley, you're going to like this. Look at verse 26. Verse 25. Then the disciples took Paul 
by night and let him down through a wall in the Lord's basket. I heard a preacher preach that verse, and he said, being in the ministry will make you a basket case. (laughs) Verse 26, though. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him. They did not even believe that he was a disciple. That's what it says. That's hilarious. Man, I don't know. Diane, remember when we got right? Was there some shocked people? What happened to Brother Marvin? Well, it wasn't Brother Marvin then, is it? What happened to him? He got saved. (laughs) Jesus got him. Do you believe Jesus can get anybody? Do you believe he wants to get everybody? All I can tell you is one day, I can promise you, he got somebody. (laughs) You looking at him. Praise God to Jesus. Man, I don't know about y'all, but I'm excited today. I'm encouraged today. I'm being reminded. I'm preaching to myself. I'm telling myself, if he changed you, he'll change them. Just keep preaching to them. Just keep praying for them. If he fixed your mess, he can fix theirs. Because listen to what it says. I got to read that again. It's so good. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the church. And they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he was even a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road. And he had spoken to him. And how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem going in and out. He was accepted. And the next verse says he continued to speak boldly. The things about Jesus. This morning, my friend, you are not here by accident. You are not here by coincidence. You are here today if you're lost so that you can be saved. This is how you're saved. You trust Jesus. Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done so that you can be saved. He has died on the cross. He hung on the cross. He gave his life. They buried him. The third day, he rose again. He lives today. He's at the right hand of the Father on the throne of all authority. And he will save you today, my friend, if you're being business with him. If you'll come and say, I'm a sinner. I know I'm not prepared for eternity. I'm humble enough to admit it. And I come to give my life to Jesus. A lot of people say, well, do I have to walk an aisle? He walked a hill for you. He was hung on a hill on a cross in front of everybody for you. But guys, that's not the reason. The reason is because what Scripture says. If you deny him before men, he said, I will deny you before my Father. But if you will confess me before men I will confess you be more my father every time I read that I think about them thieves on the cross that old thief on the cross one of them said if you are the son of God if you are the savior get us off this cross and he cussed him he blasphemed him the other one said you need to shut up we deserve what's happening to us we're murderers we're thieves we ought to be on the cross he's innocent he's holy he's righteous Lord remember me In your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. There's a video going around of preaching. Man, it's awesome. He said, can you imagine the confusion when he got there? He said, who said you could come? How did you get in here? He said, the man on the middle cross said I could come. (laughs) He blew their mind. All I can tell you is you want to come with us? The man on the middle cross, Jesus says you can come. He died for you so you can be saved and forgiven. And he'll save you today, but you got to get real. And so I'm telling you, if you got real in here with me before, say amen. Amen. 
And we all are for you. We're with you. We want to pray for you. So I want you to be praying for the lost people in here this morning to be saved. And guys, for those of us who are saved, I want to remind you, quit giving any temptation. Seek out for your purity. Let God cleanse you. Don't let him defile you. Don't let him take away your purity. And for those of you who may be participating, you know, you know it ain't something needs to be said when you walk in the room and they quit. And that happens around here. So I know when I walked in the room, if it had to quit, if it can't be said in front of me, it surely don't need to be said in front of Jesus. I'm just being real. I'm bad about it. We all do, but we need to confess it. And it's between you and Jesus. Get it right. Say, Lord, I want to be right with my brother. I want to be straight up. I want to be real. And let's all get our unity and come together. A unified, pure church will stand against persecution and not fall he won't even persecute us when we're all in them conditions but the fact that he is persecuting you praise God it's because he's scared of you he sees the potential God has in you and what he's doing with you and what he's going to do with you so quit letting it stop you and let it encourage you you see this is how I want to close tonight this is what I think no matter what no matter what, I've made up my mind, I'm going to keep giving people Jesus. I'm going to keep giving people Jesus to the day I die or Jesus comes back. And I want to encourage you to do that this morning. Tell people about the Lord. This morning, church, maybe you're saved, but there's some things you need to bring to this altar. There's, no, there's nothing to be ashamed of that. Just don't leave with it. But I'm going to talk to my lost brothers and sisters we all were lost at one time. We had to step out. We had to walk an aisle. We had to one day stand before other people. Paul got saved on the Damascus Road. Can you imagine the humility? He was led in by the hand blind, the mighty Saul. They threw him down. He was sitting there. What's going to happen to me? And God sent him help. We need some Barnabas here this morning. Barnabas took up for Saul. He says, hey, no, no, God saved him. He met Jesus. He's been preaching Jesus some of us need to help people by praying this morning, by helping them get up here, whatever it takes. But we need to be for people coming to Jesus, not a hindrance. And we need to get all the stuff in our lives that the devil wants to use out. So this morning, I don't know about y'all, but everybody who's saved this morning and knows the Lord, I want to ask you to stand. So everybody's standing. And anybody who didn't get to stand, I want to ask you to come up here. Come up here in front of all of us standing. We're all for you. And say, I've come today to give my life to Jesus. Just like Paul, I'm going to give my life to Christ. Christ is calling me. And he'll save you. I'm going to ask you to do that. All we're going to ask you to do is just sit down. We'll share and help you to know, according to the Bible, what it means to be saved. And, you, and, and if you mean it, you'll be saved. So I'm going to pray a prayer. And at the end of that prayer, if you mean this prayer, I'm going to ask you to come forward. And let's glorify Jesus this morning. Father, we're all sinners in need of grace. Help us to have the faith today to believe in the truth of your gospel, that you died for us according to the scriptures, that you were buried and on the third day you rose again according to the scriptures. And you live today to intercede and save sinners. And Lord, there's a sinner here today who's under the conviction of God, the Holy Spirit is drawing. He knows I need to make a move towards Christ.
but his pride in his flesh will go against that. Lord, help him to give him the freedom to come here this morning to glorify you and to be blessed and to be saved. And Lord, if there's someone being saved right now, even as I speak, I pray that you'll give us the strength to honor you and to make it public. So Lord, for that person right now who's praying that prayer, Lord, I'm a sinner. I believe in Jesus. I'm asking you to save me. Now help me to follow you. I'm asking you to help them take that first step to come forward and publicly proclaim Christ as their Savior and Lord. And for everybody else who's saved, Lord, you know our hearts. You know our spiritual conditions. Help us not leave like we came. Help us to be closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If God spoke to you today, just respond to obedience. He loves you. He wants to help you.